Father, we just come before you, and uh, God, I just want to thank you for all the time that these volunteers spent with these kids. And Lord, we're, we're just praying here as a church that you would use an event like this to write scripture onto kids' hearts. That, Lord, that you would just write your word on their hearts, that they would be equipped to face the world, that they would have the armor of God on um, as they go about life. And so, God, thank you for allowing these parents to give us their children, that they would trust us enough to allow us to speak into them. So, God, I pray for today. I pray for my words, Lord, that you would be in them and through them. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we as a church, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and we have been walking through uh, some of the teachings and, uh, of, of Jesus. We're going to get into some parables, but today we're going to attack a, a little bit different kind of uh, track. We're going to look at some observations that we, we see about Jesus and just how he interacts with the world. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about the relationship that Jesus had with crowds. The scores of people that were around him trying to get to know him, to see him, there's lots of wisdom that we can pick up by looking at the example of Jesus in the area of crowds. And so, look, if you're in here, if somebody would ask you about crowds, what would you say? Like, if somebody said, hey, there's a crowd here, would you be like, yes. Like, I just feed off that energy wherever there's a crowd. I don't know what's going on. If there are people gathered and there's some noise to be had, I want to be there. Maybe that's you, feeding off of energy. But maybe you're here today and somebody said, hey, there's a crowd over here. And you're like, no, thank you. Ooh, gross people. I've got to be around people. Maybe being here today at this church service is like, Lord, this is a sacrifice I'm making for you to be around people. I'm just doing it because of you. Uh, or maybe you're like me. I- I'm a little bit of a hybrid. Uh, it's certainly my, when my parents were, would say to you when I was growing up, I was a little bit of a ham. If you know my daughter and you saw up here, she got some genes from me. Uh, she's a little bit of a ham. But I have grown in, when, in maturity as I've grown older. There, there is a definite need for me to be by myself, right? And so I, I enjoy both worlds. Maybe you're kind of like me. And so today, wherever you fit on in that spectrum, maybe you're coming into today with the noise and the messages and the crowds of the world. Maybe you're feeling a little bit tired. Maybe you're drained. Maybe, maybe you are just come to the limits of yourself. Maybe you're just in here today and there's a little bit of desperation in you. And I think there's a lot that Jesus can, can share with you, a lot of things that Jesus is going to show us today that will help recharge our lives. And so you may know this already. We've talked about this uh, already. When Jesus lived on earth, he was just surrounded by seekers and skeptics. Just people were around him wherever he went, whatever town that he went into, people people seemed to flock around him to create crowds. Uh, In two different stories in our gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see crowds of two different sides. We, we got a crowd of 5,000 people that are there to listen to the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus has compassion on them, and he feeds them. There's another story where you see 4,000 people gathered, and Jesus has compassion on them, and he feeds them all. And so these are great crowds. And, but we also know that in that time, they would have probably just counted them in. And so that crowd of 5,000, 4,000, that crowd could have been sizably larger with women and children. So we're talking about tens of thousands of people that are probably coming to experience and to see Jesus. And if you believe in the scriptures, you, you understand why. I mean, here's Jesus, the son of God. He's healing lepers. Like that just doesn't happen every day. He's, he's call, calling people who are paralyzed to get up off their mats and walk. He's giving vision to people who have been blind for their whole lives. He's bringing children and dead people back to life. It, does, it makes sense to us that Jesus would be building a lot of crowds around himself. 
People are noticing who Jesus is. He sent shockwaves around the area of Galilee in this first century. And it's not just the things that he's doing, it's the things that he says. Last week we talked about Jesus with authority said, your sins are forgiven. Nobody's uttered those words before besides God. Jesus is making a claim to the throne. It's not just what he's doing, it's what he's saying that is fascinating people. And he's declaring wherever he goes that there is a new way to be made right through God, a way that he's going to bring in. And so as a person, if we just look at the person of Jesus, he is fascinating for all of those things above. As a person, we in this world are still trying to figure out what to do with Jesus Christ because he's fascinating. No intellectual scholar will ever deny the existence of Jesus. How many CNN specials do we have to have about who is Jesus? I mean, we're just fascinated by this guy. But Jesus wasn't just a person. He was God. And if he did the kind of things that he said or did and said the kind of things that he said, as believers, it is of the utmost importance that we let him inform our perspective and guide our lifestyle in the areas that he talks teaches, and lives through. And so when we look at Jesus, we just see an enamored group of people that are always surrounding him. People are fascinated about him. And we're going to see that here in the Gospel of Mark. So we're just going to jump into our text today. We're going to go into Mark 3, starting in verse 7. It says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee to Judea and Jerusalem to Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had disease, diseases pressed around him to touch him. Could you imagine being in that day? To be around Jesus when he's healing people. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Everywhere he went, people are just gathering to see him. This is like everywhere he goes, it's Friday at street fair. Just people all pressing up in his business. They're pressing on him. And it says that the Lord was so concerned that he thought they were going to crush him. And so he told his disciples, those who were closest to him, to go ahead and get ahead of him and get the boat ready. Why did they get the boat ready? So he could escape from the crowd. So he could get away from the crowd. And what does the crowd want from Jesus? Lots of different things. It seems as though everybody wanted something from Jesus, whether it was a healing or a miracle. Maybe they were just there to have some confirmation about the speculation they've heard about Jesus. But everybody is there to take. They are there to take. They want to take of Jesus' time. They want to take of Jesus' wisdom. They want to take of Jesus' message. They want to take of Jesus' power. Everyone is there to take. Take from Jesus. The crowd drains Jesus. Absolutely drains Jesus. And he needs to get away. He needs to get on the boat. And in scripture, there's lots of symbolism for boats. Right? Lots of things that happen on boats. You got Noah in the ark, you got Jonah in the well. Jesus is always on a boat, it seems like. Some would say that the boat is a symbol of God's church in the word. But in this story, it's quite simple what it stands for. The boat is a sanctuary for rest for Jesus. It is as Superman would need, a fortress of solitude for Jesus while he's on earth here. 
For Jesus, getting in the boat means rest. It means restoration. It's a time away from the masses, just him and a few people. And sometimes it's just him and himself getting away from the people on shore. And Jesus does this so he can recuperate, so he can do it again. He spends some time away so he can give of himself again. The boat is a place of solitude for Jesus to recharge himself. And getting away becomes an absolute priority for Jesus as his mission on earth grows. As people began to be more and more enamored with him, you see Jesus getting away more and more and more. The, the gospel writer Luke says that Jesus would often get away into the desolate place, places to pray. He just began to have a rhythm in his life for him to go away and find time to connect with the Father. Before Jesus enters public ministry at the age of 30, he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And in that time, he prays, he fasts, he's challenged and tempted by the enemy, but it is a vessel of preparation for Jesus to walk through the next three years of his life that are going to be hard. Anytime that Jesus has to make an important decision, you see in the word that he gets away. When he's picking the 12 disciples, Jesus gets away. When he's done with miracles, quite often Jesus gets away. And of course, on his way to the cross to die for our sins, what do we see in our Savior? He takes time to get away and be with his Father. It's just a rhythm of his life. And it's a purposeful rhythm because Jesus knows this. That even though he's the Son of God, like he can only give what he has. And he has a lot, but he needs to connect with the Father. So he can stay above the crowd. He can give to them what they need. And listen, you and I today, whether you know it or not, we all have a crowd in our life. Maybe it's not the thousands of people that are flocking to Jesus. Maybe it's not the hundreds, in the hundreds even. People aren't asking you to heal them, probably. People aren't trying to to make you their king, a political king. But no doubt you have a crowd that is trying to pull from your resources, from your time, from your energy, from from your strength, and from your hope. And so please understand this. Foundationally, as believers, we believe this, that the world is not benign to you. The world is not neutral to you. This world is hostile to your soul. It is hostile to your soul. The word records that this whole creation is broken, fractured. You and the world, it will take from you. We don't hate the world as believers. We love the world. We want to see all of the world in its entirety and its people redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you allow this world, it will take from you. It will drain you and it will take from you more than you want it to. And maybe you come in here today just saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of myself. This world has taken from me so much. I'm at the end of myself as a person. This world will drain us. And what Jesus shows us is this rhythm of solitude, of silence that is absolutely, listen, absolutely essential for those who are sons and daughters of God, for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. This is a rhythm that we have to remember in our lives. Because look, there is a message that your heart needs to be reminded of. There is a hope that was given to you that you need to be restored in. There is a story that you have to remember. There's a peace that was granted to you that you need to remind yourself of. And God uses solitude and he uses silence as his tools to recharge and to speak his word to his people. The voice of God is persistent, but it is soft. And he will not yell above the noise in your life, above the crowds in your life. Jesus shows us the rhythm of solitude. 
There is a design within your DNA that you need to get away, that you need to get on the boat. You have to spend time with your creator. He is the one that gave you your identity. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, he, he writes about this analogy of a, of a sailboat, uh, that a sailboat can, can swiftly fly across the water only with, if it's within its, its design, only if it's within its boundaries and its limit. If a sailor were to take a boat out and want to, to enjoy the speedy nature of its craft, it could only enjoy it in the limits and the boundary. If it took the boat too close to shore, it would ruin it. Only in the proper limits and boundaries does that ship fly. In the right deep water, at the right angle, with the white, right winds, does that thing flourish. And the same is true for you and I. There is a design for you and I that creates freedom and flourishing in our life. And if we are not plugging into those realities, if we are not respecting those, those limits and those boundaries, we will not experience what the Lord has for us. And just like in your physical realities, if you don't choose and stay inside your limits and your boundaries in your physical realities, you won't enjoy the freedom of good health. In your relationships with people, if you don't understand the limits and the boundaries of personal relationships with people, you won't experience the love and social peace that you can have on earth. There are limits and boundaries to our design. The bottom line is, we all think that we get to choose our own way. We get to choose what we get to do. Look, you don't get to choose what you want. If you are not in the limits, in the boundaries of the freedoms that God has given us, where do we go? We get drained, we get tired, we, we die alone. There is a design for you, and make no mistake, there is a boundary and a limit for you in design to sit quiet and still with your Father. It is in your DNA, and we have to honor that design. Because look, it is no secret that this world is going to bombard you every single day of your life with messages and noise that want to take from you and corrupt you. In America alone, there is $412 billion spent every single year on advertising and marketing. $412 billion of people trying to tell you what to do, what to say, what to eat, what to purchase, where to go. It is filling up our timelines, it's on our computer, it's in our televisions, it's on our radio, it's in our newspapers, it's in our morning commutes, it's everywhere we go. Somebody's always blasting a voice at you to tell you what to do. And this is our modern day crowd. This is what we have to escape from. There is a constant message that is being spoken to you. And the industry will gladly spend $412 billion because they know over time, without being checked or challenged, that our hearts and our minds will be turned towards them and our spending habits. And then you add on top of all of that the political pundits of the day, the experts filling our airways telling us what we should think. It is just... It's oppressive at times. Everybody is biting for our attention, for our hearts and our minds. They want us to hear their message and believe their message. This is our modern day crowd. And that message inevitably will begin, whatever it is that you're listening to, whatever crowd you're associated, will un 
inevitably, inevitably, I should say, begin to shape your life in your hearts. Because your hearts and your minds will be whittled away. They will be redefined by the loudest voices in your life. And boy, the voices are loud today, aren't they? I turned on the news, and it was just two people yelling at each other. The voices are loud today, literally, telling us what to do, what to believe, where to go. And I believe this. I believe that so many of us want to experience the peace and the comfort and the power of God in our lives. All of us want to. And maybe we have kind of doubted in our faith or walked away from our faith because we've not experienced those things in our life. But listen, for us to experience the power of God in our lives, we have to experience the presence of God in our life. And you can't experience the presence of God in your life if you're not going to sit in stillness and solitude with your father who designed you. That is where he recharges us. We have to make it a habit to spend time with him. And many of you might say this, Steve, look, I got a job. I got kids. I got a wife. I got a noisy neighborhood right now that's launching fireworks at 12 o'clock at night. I've got no time in my life to do this. And I would just say, look, every one of our lives is hectic. And the more hectic your life, the greater need that you have to find a space to get alone, to be still, to be quiet in front of the Lord. There is great benefit in that effort. King David, the most prolific king in Israel's history, writes in, in Psalm 131, he says that I have stilled and quieted my soul. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Is there any more peaceful image than a child in its mother's arms? And this is what King David says his soul is because he spent time in quietness and stillness in front of the Father. That is a picture of peace and contentment and security that is offered to us in the solitude of our Father. And so friends, my hope today is what the gospel of Mark might bring to you today is an understanding that your soul needs to get on the boat and get away. To get away from the noise, to get away from the crowds, to begin to establish a rhythm in your life like your Savior did. To connect with your Father, to spend time with Him because He always has had your best interest in mind and He's always had your best life in mind. But here's the thing that makes this so difficult. It's so crippling to many of us, this idea of silence, because we don't know how to do it anymore. We just don't know what it means to be still in front of the Father. In fact, we're confused. I think the world has redefined solitude as an opportunity for us to check our Facebook feeds, to watch Netflix, to watch the news. When we get some downtime, I'm going to make it about me. It's redefined those things. And so we sit on our couches and then we aimlessly scroll through our phones. We create all sorts of distraction in our lives that never enable us to understand our emotions and our feelings, to process those things. Do you think that it's without consequence? Do you think that the, the rates of loneliness, depression, and suicide might have 
been affected by our inability to be able to sit in stillness and solitude and quietness and understand our personal junk, to sit it in front of the Father and try to check our hearts in front of Him. I don't think it's a consequence at all or a coincidence at all. There is a design for us to sit alone with the Father. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Netflix is an entirely bad thing, and I'm not saying your phones are entirely bad things. The Apostle Paul reminds us that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Can you handle it? Because it's obvious that the enemy is using it as a tactic to kill our souls. He is using it as an element to rob our joy. He is using it to make us ineffective in our work in the kingdom. And I think the enemy has made it a monopoly of three elements. Hurry, noise, and crowd. Hurry, he monopolizes those things to distract us, to alter us, to just just change us. But you know what the enemy never wants? Quietness, stillness. Because that's where the Father works. That persistent, soft voice to speak to his people, to recharge our souls. And just let's be honest, the enemy has done a really effective job in our lives. And so over and over and over and over and over and over, and I could say that all the time, the word talks about seeking the presence of God. Our famous verses in Jeremiah, like, you may you know, seek the Lord, when you, you will find the Lord when you seek him with all your heart. This is a, a model of seeking Every day, not just one time, I saw him once. Every day, put yourself in the presence of God. James, the brother of Jesus, says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. This is about pursuit of God. Every great leader in Scripture understood the power of solitude. Noah, David, Abraham, you name it. Elijah, Elisha. John the Baptist, John, the disciples, Jesus, the list goes on and on and on. These people knew the power of solitude because they experienced the power of solitude. And so this is a rhythm that Jesus instills in his life to get on the boat, away from the people, away from the noise, and to focus on the inner man for our souls to connect to the Father in his will and his heart. And we must do it with some desperation and urgency, guys. We must do this with some urgency. We have to get away from the noise because it is corrupting us. And I'm not going to, look, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you how to do that. That's not my job. I would say this, it needs to include three elements, prayer, God's word, silence. Outside of that, I would ask that you would seek the Lord, how he's wired you, what you enjoy, but to find time to get alone with him. And it doesn't always have to look like you alone in a basement room and quiet. Like that would just my mind would just go crazy in that environment. Maybe you would just be refreshed in that. The Apostle Paul, one of the examples that I love is that Paul refuses a boat ride with some of his guys, and he just decides to walk by himself to the destination to be alone with the Lord. Maybe you just need to get alone with the Lord in nature. I've got a porch swing. (laughs) It's hot. I'm not out there on the porch swing right now, but We have to find a rhythm in our life to be alone and check our hearts with him and to get away from the distraction and the noise of this world. Jesus wants us to get away from the hurry, the crowds, and to be with him, the God who designed you, the God who gave you identity, to sit in stillness and quietness with him. 
Because listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this world's not your home. Like you just, you don't belong here. You are a citizen of heaven first. And a citizen of earth second. Your king is on the throne. He's not in Washington. He's on the throne. And we have to concern ourselves with his presence and his ways. For, because the world's ways are not your ways. The world's beliefs are not your beliefs. If we aren't focused in our lives, in creating an avenue for us to check our hearts and our minds first and last with what the Lord wants from us, then we're creating problems in our life. Because Jesus is different than anything else on this world and in heaven. We create so much noise on this. Isn't this, it's just crazy, the kind of noises that we make on this. And we, look, we gravitate towards the next big thing. We are so fickle in our attention, and this includes me. We're so, whatever the next big thing, I'm onto it. I need, oh, iPhone's got the, oh, iPhone 11's out, iPhone 10's no longer good enough. We just move from one crowd of noise to the next crowd of noise because we think that that's what's going to fix us. We think that it's going to bring some sort of uh, a joy into our lives. But that's not what the Lord would say to us. This world is not our home. Jesus gives us a different way. And I, I love the example that Jesus gives to us in Mark 1. I think it's profound. In Mark 1, this is Jesus interacting with a crowd. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Ah, there's another rhythm. And there he prayed. And Simon, who would later become Peter, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. And they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said, to them, he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went th throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So what happened in the story? You got, you got Simon and all the people around Jesus, and there is a, a flock, a crowd of people that are saying, Where is this, where is this Jesus guy? We're fascinated by him. We want to hear him. We want to see him. Crowds of people. And I don't blame Simon. If there was a crowd of people that wanted to see Jesus, I would think that Jesus would want to meet them. But what does Jesus say here? Eh. <laughs> Forget them. I'm going to go here. It's not my job to entertain these guys. I came here to preach a message. How would you do if somebody came on your door and knocked on your door and said, hey, there's a group of people. It's getting pretty large. They seem to admire you. They want to get to know you. In fact, I think they love you. They want you to come and talk to them. How are you feeling about that? If you're an introvert, you're saying, gross people. I don't want to be around there. But like me, I'm honest with you. I'd be like, okay. Who wouldn't want to be the center of that kind of attention? That kind of love and intrigue? Jesus didn't. He went a different way. He went away from the crowd. That doesn't seem logical in our day and age. You see, Jesus' mission here, his primary mission wasn't to do healings and miracles and works of wonders to create a crowd. That wasn't his primary mission. Jesus never tried to create a crowd. That wasn't his job. The miracles and the works and the healings legitimize who he is and his message. 
I think as a pastor, I have to remember all this time, all of this, this point. Jesus never tried to create crowds. They just came. He was here to preach a message, a new way, salvation for your sins through Christ, grace through Christ. And he spoke that message on the way to the cross where he would fulfill that message. Jesus was not here to become popular. Wasn't here to create a crowd. He was here to deliver a message. Because here's what Jesus knew about the crowd that we don't. He knew they would reject him. He knew that they would reject him. In the Gospel of Mark, we see tens of thousands of people who are intrigued, kicked up in their just speculation about Jesus. Tens of thousands of people saw his miracles, experienced his teachings, knew his way, but at the end of the day, most of them rejected him. Most of them rejected him, despite all of those things. And this wasn't unknown to Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, some 500 years before the birth of Christ, wrote about the rejected Messiah. In Isaiah 53, it says this about our Savior. It says, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry grounds. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. When Jesus dies and after his resurrection, the book of Acts records that of all those tens of thousands of people, there were 120 people left. 120 believers left after it all. Jesus never valued crowds because at the end of the day, he knew that they would reject him. He loves the people in the crowd. He just never concerned himself with the noise of the crowd. On his trial, Pontius Pilate, who just wants to get his hands clean of this deal about trying Jesus and, and maybe killing Jesus, he offers the crowd what? An option to pick between one of two men, Jesus Christ, innocent, and Barabbas, a hardened criminal. And what does the crowd do? They picked Barabbas. Despite all of the miracles, despite all of the healings, all of the love that G Jesus Christ displayed on this earth, they picked Barabbas, and Jesus went to the cross anyway and died for those people. He loved the people in the crowd. He just never listened to the noise. Because at the end of the day, all the crowd is is noise and flash. He creates fads and trends because everyone in that crowd, everyone in the crowd is concerned about one thing, themselves. And if another crowd comes up that seems to be cooler, see you later. The crowds are always concerned about themselves first. Jesus has always been concerned about you. Not so with Jesus. Jesus has always, his whole life, been concerned about you. His whole life is an offering for you. His death is a gift for you. Not for himself, but for you. Because we all are dead in our trespasses and sins. Every last one of us, dead in our trespasses and sins. We deserve condemnation. 
But God poured out all the wrath he had against mankind in their sin and their disobedience onto the Son in whom they've rejected and crushed. And upon his resurrection, he gave to us a gift through grace of his righteousness, not our own, and eternal life. An act of grace. He's always thought about you. Every moment of his life. He's always had his, your intentions in mind. And for all of us who believe by faith in Jesus Christ, we know that. And faith is not some positive thoughts, but faith is a heart that is engaged actively pursuing the heart of God. The crowds can never do, the noise will never do, the messages will never do what Christ has done for you. And because of it, he is worth all of our time. He's worth space. He's worth quietness. He's worth stillness because he has designed you to be with him. He has designed you to be with him. You have boundaries and limits in your life. You have to stay connected with Jesus. It is for our great benefit and joy and flourishing in life to do so. So look, honestly, you, I know this too. This noise, the crowd of this world, it's everywhere. You've got to remember, you don't, this isn't your home. That you have a source in heaven that has designed you to be with him, to get above the messages. And so we have to challenge ourselves in our heart. I pray that we challenge our hearts and ourselves to find time to be alone in solitude with our creator, to recharge our batteries, to seek him, to check our hearts. Do you know how many problems in our life would just be evaporated if we just checked our hearts in front of the Father? If we let him inform our way and our thoughts? And so the challenge in Mark today is to find time to be away from the, the noise. Because look, at the end of the day, it does not care about you. The crowds do not care about you. Jesus does. And we should treat him as somebody who's worthy of our time. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, I'm just asking for a huge movement in our hearts and our minds. This is such a difficult area for us. We are so distracted by the noise and the crowd and the messages of the world. But Lord, you have shown us a different way, a way about getting away, a way about staying close to the Father, being in quiet and solitude with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would create a desire in our hearts to not just sit in distraction, to not just focus our time on ourselves, but that we would, we would sit under you, that we would quiet ourselves under you and feel your presence. So, Lord, I just pray that you would move in our hearts to convict us of areas where we fall short and you would change our desires. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word and we thank you for what it means to us and what it does for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not. Amen.